Amen. Let's pray together. So, Father God, we just thank you that we can come before you this morning and we can just accept your word into our hearts. We thank you that you are a God that provides direction, admonition, counsel, prophetic word. Father God, that you are a God that stirs us up. Holy Spirit, come into the room right now, not because you weren't here before, but just, Father God, in a new way. Holy Spirit, just, just do a move in the room right now of openness, acceptance, and complete abandonment to what you want to tell us. Father, we're not here to placate the people outside this church to say, hey, look how righteous those people are coming to church. No, Father, we are a godly people that seek you every moment of our day. Every time we come before you, we want to be edified. We want to be encouraged. Father God, we want to be discipled. We want to be changed. We are not here just to have our ears tickled. No, Father, we are here because we want you to grow us, shape us, and make us into something incredible for your name, for no other reason. And Father God, we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 How many of you walked to church this morning? This can't be a, Pastor Micah, this can't be a true African message. How many of you are ready to be here for the next three and a half to four hours just on the message? Oh, here we go. Well, here's the deal. What's nice about having such a long message is if you really start enjoying the message and you want to get up and leave and go and fetch somebody and bring them back, feel free. I'll still be preaching by the time you get back. Amen? All righty. So there's this thing that's on me all the time about what do I need to do first in my life? Have you got that? It's like, I've I got to constantly be prioritizing things. I've constantly got to be sorting through things. And in a first world country like America, we seem to prioritize a whole lot of plastic and we neglect the meat. I want to say that I sit in meetings here in this country and I go, come on, guys, are we seriously discussing this? When people around the world are discussing far greater priorities at their breakfast tables just to survive the day, we've missed this thing about prioritizing what it is we're supposed to be focused on. Oh, we get so caught up. Do I have Netflix and Wi-Fi? <sighs> And the Lord is screaming at you that people all around you are destined for an eternal death and you're busy worrying about your Wi-Fi. The Lord is screaming at you that there's character traits in you that he can tweak and he can change if you'll just humble yourself and present yourself to him and he will change your life so radically that you won't even recognize yourself. I don't know about you, I look in the mirror sometimes and I go, I don't want to be recognizable. And so when I have a look at that scripture in Revelation chapter 2, which tells me, hey, I need to return to my first love. I need to return to the first deeds. Now, when I first read that scripture in Revelation, I thought to myself, oh, brother, I got to keep focused on Jesus. I got to keep returning to Jesus. Now, that's not what the scripture means, and I want to unpack this today. When I return to my first love today, I'm going to go home to Leanne, pray for her, she's got traveling flu. You know what that is, right? Traveling flu. Just her body's now tired and she just took a morning out because she's been traveling. But um, when I return home to my love, I'm not running home just to be with Leanne. Trust me, when I get home today, Leanne doesn't want me just to climb next to her on the bed and hold her and say, oh, it's so good to be home, and it's so nice to be with you, and it's so good to be. She wants me to cut the lawn. She wants me to tidy up outside. She wants me to unpack the dishwasher. There's a list of things that my love requires me to do that I used to do automatically when I first married Leanne. But now I need to be reminded 20 years later of the things that she needs me to do. Jesus is at the forefront of your life, whether you like it or not. Come on now. He stepped into your life. You cannot change that Jesus has got a hold of you. So don't try and change it. All we've got to do is understand that Jesus is at the forefront of our minds and our hearts. And when we look at Jesus and we focus on Jesus, it's going to change what we do. 
When that scripture tells me to return to my first love, it means prioritize the things that are important to Jesus. Get your priorities straight, First World America. Get your priorities straight, Boswell, Oklahoma. It's saying, you know what? I know that you know me. I know that you love me. We got married a little while ago when we first received each other. And Jesus said, I do to you, and you said, I do to Jesus. Now, 20 years later, five years later, three years later, you've forgotten the things that he's asking you to do, that he wants you to do to show that you're still in love with him. Oh, but we're Christian. Yeah, you can have the name of your spouse, but be in a loveless marriage, right? You can have the name of your spouse. In fact, some people who get divorced from their spouse still keep the name. But they don't do the deeds that contribute towards the marriage. Because they don't have a purpose. They don't have a direction. They don't have a tangible thought process that, hang on, I need to be actively prioritizing my relationship with Jesus. We come to church every Sunday, don't we? I want to say to you that the kingdom of God is not built in the four walls of this building. The kingdom of God is built when you prioritize your space, when you prioritize your activity, and you say, I do to Jesus every second of the day. You see, when I give honor to Jesus every second of the day, He's going to move me from glory to glory, from holy ground moment to holy ground moment. Are you, are you with me on that? And I want to speak a prophetic word today over holy ground moments in your life. What's a holy ground moment? Well, when we're not prioritizing ourselves, when we're not getting ourselves focused on Jesus, let me just ask you this question. Who focuses us on Jesus? Who focuses us on Jesus? The Holy Spirit. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're going to struggle to prioritize your life on Jesus. If you're not walking in the guidance of the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to daily admonish you, to daily challenge you, to daily push you towards Jesus, you're going to struggle with Netflix and Jesus. You're going to struggle with pleasing your boss over pleasing Jesus. You're going to struggle with your bank account and believing Jesus came to give you a life and life in abundance. You're going to struggle with why did he get healed and I didn't. You're going to struggle with why do bad things happen to good people. Those kinds of questions, if they're going on in your head, you need to get with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to tell you what the list of things is to do that your lover needs you to do when you get home. Am I making sense? So don't stop me. Because when we have a look at the Holy Spirit's job of pointing us to Jesus, His whole purpose is to give you a God-oriented purpose. Think about it. Jesus is where? Right now, where's Jesus? Raised to the right hand of God, ruling in heavens, right? Why is He ruling in the heavens? And not ruling on the earth. Can't he get his priorities straight? Where's his people? Shouldn't he be on earth? Why did he have to go away in the first place? You see, in Genesis chapter 3, 2 and 3, God unpacks the story. The moment Adam and Eve lost their direction, the moment they lost their deeds that they were doing for their first love, what did they do? They stepped into a place of disobedience. The disobedience was the sin. Everything else that came was the consequences of the sin. We learned this on Wednesday, right? If you didn't learn it on Wednesday, get the recording or get your rear end into church this coming Wednesday. You see, when we have a look at, at the, the, this moment where there was disobedience and Adam and Eve stepped away from their first love, hey, God steps in and says, I'm going to send my son. He said to the woman, my seed, my seed will, will be through you. He didn't say to Adam that the seed will come from Adam. He looked at the woman and said, your seed. Why did he look at the woman? Because his word, Jesus, would be birthed into a woman and become the word in flesh, Jesus Christ. Am I making sense? 
And so he didn't say to the man and the woman together, oh, you're going to have a whole lot of children, and eventually there's going to be this guy that comes from your seed. It's going to be called Jesus, and he's going to be a really good prophet, and he's going to say like really good things, and he's going to write four really good books called the Gospels, and it's going to change the world. And then he's going to tell somebody he's going to build a church, and they're going to go and build a church. And, and then we're going to have this kind of church and that kind of church, and eventually there's going to be so much division in the church that I'm going to need to send my son again. And then, no, 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 no. He said, hey, hey, focus on the seed I'm going to put on, in, on the inside of you. Focus on the seed I'm going to put on the inside of you. Am I making sense? And when the seed arrived, Jesus was always there. From the moment Adam sinned to the moment Jesus appeared on the face of the planet, the same opportunity arose for every single human being to discover Jesus coming. The people of old had the potential of stepping into the realm of knowing Jesus. Moses did. Moses steps into the realm of knowing Jesus when the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ himself, steps down and explains the word of God to him, explains Deuteronomy to him, explains the, the living covenant with him, explains everything. That was Jesus. Moses took his tent outside the camp to camp out with the living God. Jesus. Abraham knew about the resurrection of his son before the resurrection even happened. How? Because he'd been communing with Jesus who would later be resurrected so Jesus could explain the resurrection to him. And so Isaac's offering was understandable to him. You see, these men and women focused their attention on Jesus and made it a priority to focus their living word on Jesus. If they could do it without the Holy Spirit... If they could do it without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what can we do today knowing that Jesus has come, is coming, and will come again? We can tune into Netflix and binge watch our favorite show. No, I can't be at church on Wednesday. You know why? Because, well, you know my favorite show starts at quarter past eight. And we start at 6.30 and Pastor Craig goes on a bit long and These guys were willing to do whatever it took to concentrate on the seed, on the word that God had placed in, into action in Eden and released it to the world. So much so that the same guy, Moses, now goes and he gets birthed in him this desire. How many of us have a desire, a dream? I'm not talking about your first world dreams. Oh, we really want to go to a cruise in Hawaii. Great, amen. God will give you the, will, the desires of your heart, right? And we take that scripture, God will give you the desires of my heart, and we translate that into a red Lamborghini. First world translation of the will of our heart. Have you, have you noticed that? That's not what the scripture means. Moses has this desire. What was Moses' desire as he's growing up in the palace? Man, this is a boy that was angry. His mother had left him. His mother had stayed with him and told him that he wasn't of the palace. It was abundantly clear that even though he was third, third, fourth, fifth generation Hebrew, he was third, fourth generation immigrant. Now, I'm first generation immigrant. And I, when I listen to Bianca, when I listen to Kevin, I go, hang on, we are adopting the customs of America. Y'all? <laughs> Did I do a good job? We are ad adopting the customs of America. Now, can you imagine how many after generations, like I'm talking hundreds of years here, the Israelites would have adopted the customs of the Egyptians. That's why there were three plagues that affected them both because the Israelites had to realize that God was punishing them for adopting the customs that were not of the seed. They were not of the word. There was no blessing because there was no focus on the word. They had adopted the customs, the priorities of the things around them and not the things that God had laid on them. Am I making sense? Oh, it's not going well with me, Pastor. I just, I just can't live with him anymore. He's just... Uh. I've been with him for 35 years and he's been the father of my children and, and now they've moved out of the house. I see him for the first time with the scales have fallen off my eyes, Pastor. And you adopt the customs of the world, saying in your marriage, it's easy come, easy go. Oh, my son's such a rebel. Who put the spirit of rebellion in him? You did. Oh, but she's so, she's so immoral. Where did she learn that from? 
You didn't protect her from the ways of the world while she was growing up, while she was 13, 14, 15, 16, and now you're complaining about her immorality now when she's 18, 19. Focus your family on the Word and the seed of God in your life and watch the blessings flow. There will be no plagues. There will be no malediction if you focus on the Word of God that He planted in Eden. Am I making sense? Prioritize Jesus in your fathering. Prioritize Jesus in your mothering. Prioritize Jesus in your family. And you will rise up like wings of eagles and you will walk and not grow weary. And so when we have a look at this process, Moses has a desire of his heart. What was his desire? To have the new chariot GTE four-wheeler. You know that thing can tow a whole trailer? He wanted a new skid steer to build a new pyramid. No, that's not what Moses, what was his desire? He goes out there with all this anger, all this hurt, all this issue, all this confusion. Sound like one of you? All of the pains of being left behind, not an Egyptian, not an Israelite, growing up, being supposedly a prince, but not being having the authority of a prince. In fact, he had so little authority that when he killed an Egyptian slave driver, the Pharaoh, his adopted father, sought to kill him. How's that work? He must have been nothing less than a slave in the palace if the Pharaoh had so little regard for him. His mother, his father, slaves themselves. Now what? So he goes out there knowing that this is his people, and he sees one of his people being oppressed, and something rises up on the inside of him, the Word of God. Something rises up on the inside of him, the talents, the giftings, the abilities that God had made sure he had had, and he used them in all the wrong ways. You see, there's a listening to the word, and then there's an implementation of the word through the Holy Spirit that will give you the right results. You can know the word, call yourself Christian, be called a Christian man, but be doing it all wrong. And he murders the Egyptian slave driver, and he has to go on the run for 40 years. And so the Holy Spirit guides him for 40 years. Somebody else went into the desert. Jesus Christ. He had a purpose. Isaiah I come to give sight to the blind, deaf to the hearing. I mean, hearing to the deaf. Bind up the brokenhearted. You know that scripture he quotes directly after being in the desert? Did you notice that? When we often implement the gift of the word in our lives in the wrong way, take a moment to reorientate yourself towards the word. Moses did. So he goes into the desert for 40 years, and there he is, is working in the desert. In fact, this, this desire in his heart to free the oppressed, that was Moses' genuine desire. It wasn't just any oppressed. I mean, it wasn't just the Jewish oppressed. It was any oppressed, because he gets to this well, and some women are kind of trying to dry well, water from the well, and the shepherds come over, and they try and walk all over the women. And he goes, not on my watch. Persecuted and oppressed got him down. Why? Because he was so persecuted and oppressed and angry and put down in the, in the palace and in the prison. He didn't know where to go. And so he was desirous of something. How many of you are desirous of something? As righteous as freeing the oppressed, feeding the hungry. How many of you wake up with that as your priority and not your Netflix stream? And not the bulls that you have. How many of you have that desire bolted into you? Because you see, it's only if we follow the word of God and the promptings of the Holy Spirit that we're going to have the real kind of desires that matter. Am I making sense to you today? It's not about just writing a list. Oh, I must go to church. That's the American first world way. Take out your cell phone. Hey, Siri, set me a task. Church, 9 a.m. Wow, that's incredible. No, I'm talking about when you're waking up, my Siri is talking to me right now. Uh, all your series went on as I said, hey, Siri, did you notice that? It's pretty cool, don't you think? I can do all sorts to your phones right now. Hey, Siri, wake me up at 5.30. There we go. See what happens tomorrow morning at 5.30. <laughs> and so we have a look at this process, and, and we jump in, and we start prioritizing. And I'm talking about when you wake up in the morning, what is gnawing away at you? The worries of the fact that you don't quite fit in, the worries in the situation about your Netflix feed, the concerns about your bandwidth and your Wi-Fi, where this is going from, how, what time I must get my kids to school, is that what's gnawing at you? Or is it the liberation of the oppressed? 
Is it the the freedom of the persecuted? Is it the feeding of the hungry? Is it the praying for the downtrodden? What gets you up in the morning? Because when we have the Word of God as our focus and as our priority, let me tell you something, your Netflix account's not going to get you up in the morning, but the liberation of people is, the combining of the church is, the magnification of the body is, the things that are going to get you up in the morning are going to be so much more important than your Netflix feed. And so Moses, with this desire to free the oppressed, having done it all wrong, how many of you have had a good desire but walked it out all wrong? And Moses gets up with this good desire, and he's walked it all wrong. And he goes to the holy ground, like he does every day. He goes to the desert, like he does every day. Walks past this bush, like he does every day. Knows the bush, knows of the bush. Has probably even named the bush. Given it a name, he knows it's the big bush next to the creek. And you want to get to my place, you go to the big bush and you turn left. Yeah? And Moses, with this desire, the same desire, goes before the Lord and the Lord says to him, and he gets his attention, he has a barbecue in this bush, the bush doesn't burn, and Moses goes before the Lord, and the Lord says the first thing he says to him, hey, take off your sandals, this is holy ground. Why was it holy ground? Here's the deal, lean forward, I want to tell you a secret. It was holy ground because the Lord knew that he was going to marry the word of God in Moses with the spoken word of God himself. Oh, come on now. He was going to match up the desires of Moses to free the oppressed with the spoken word of God. Look at what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 2, it's first, first of all says, Moses wanted his people free. At the end of chapter 2, God says, I want my people free. The spoken word of God aligned with the word-oriented desires of Moses. And when the two married, there was holy ground. It wasn't just because it was special. God knew that if he could awaken the word-based desires in your heart with the spoken word from his heart, and he could match the two, something holy was going to happen. Are you getting me? And all of a sudden, Moses knew that the desires of his heart weren't stupid. They weren't dumb. They weren't some crazy dream. They, weren't some, they were things that were spoken in heaven by the word of God himself, right down into Moses, right down into who he was. And Moses said, I'm going to make a moment here. And God says, you better take a moment because big things are going to happen when you align yourself to my word. Big things. Oh, you might have excuses. Father, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do this? What, what, how am I going to speak to Pharaoh? How am I going to convince him that you're the most high God? How am, I going to, how am I ever going to get to Kenya to be a missionary? How am I ever going to get the confidence up to become a prayer missionary or a prayer warrior? Or how am I ever going to learn the tongues of the Holy Spirit? <sighs> We got a new cat. I kid you not, we got a new cat. Bianca comes home, she says, I need a cat. I take it to the pet shop to show how evil they are. <laughs> Satan the devil walks around like a roaring lion. A lion is a cat. Cats are from the devil. <laughs> Preach it, brother. So now we have two evil cats walking around our house. And uh, the one cat goes to the other cat. The, the new cat comes all sheepishly and meekly into the room. Now, our existing cat's a house cat. She's got no claws. The new cat's got claws. Uh-oh. <laughs> There's a boxing match with a blade, right? And the first cat doesn't realize she can use her claws because she's looking at the bigger cat. And the bigger cat looks ominous. It looks too big. The little cat looks too small. Doesn't realize it's got special gifts, special talents, special abilities that the other cat doesn't have. That wants that cat to come out and play. And that the hisses. And the toy tail goes from this to this. When you realize that you're packing a punch with the Holy Spirit, you can make a noise about it. And so Moses goes before the Lord. He doesn't just go, I can't do this. No, not at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday. Talking in tongues. Let me tell you something. 
If you want your Christianity to always be what it is right now, keep doing what you're doing. Sit on your rear end and do nothing with the Holy Spirit. You will be saved. You will have eternity, but you'll have no fun. Keep doing it. It's okay. You'll get it to heaven. Jesus has made sure of that. There's no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ, but there's no fun for those who aren't in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to blow your mind back. And this is what he does. At the burning bush, Moses goes, I can't do it, Lord. I want to, but I can't. I want to, but my provision doesn't come from you. It comes from my boss. I want to, but you know how much tax I still owe. I want to, but... And you don't realize that God's looking at you and saying, what's in your hand? What's in your hand, James? What's in your hand, James? What's in your hand? And you go, oh, I've got the stick. I've got these claws. Cool. Superhero. It's not a natural thing that it's the supernatural and you can be called a superhero. Come on now. I might not have a cape, but I've got a microphone. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, Holy Spirit, hey, Moses, if you're willing to focus on what I'm telling you, that I want my people free, and understand that that's what's in your heart, if you're willing to let my desire crash with your desire, watch the supernatural come into being. If you're willing to walk and give your dreams to God and understand that they're His dreams too, that in my will, I will give you anything that you ask. That's why it says in my will and anything that you ask. It's the marrying of your desire with God's purpose, watching it become a supernatural outworking of your divine purpose. And in that moment, Moses goes, woohoo, check this out. And he throws his stick down and it becomes a snake. The minute you put your excuses aside, the supernatural steps in. Can I say that again? The moment you put your excuses aside, the supernatural can step in. And then you begin to realize that Moses was carrying a weight. But you know, Father, I married a Midianite. And the Lord looks at him and says, That's, well, you're pretty mixed up anyway, so it doesn't matter. You don't even know if you're Egyptian, Jewish, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. Oh, but hang on, you know, I... <sighs> and, and again, the Lord reminds him, I'll give you your, your brother, Aaron. He'll speak on your behalf. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. I'll help you with this. But I need you to go. And in that moment, in that moment, his desire becomes reality. And in the moment, he catches a glimpse of what the Father can see. He hasn't seen it yet for himself, but he catches a glimpse of what the Father can see. And if the Father can see it, it is true. If the Father can see you being a missionary in Kenya, it is true. If the Father can see you overcoming your current divorce proceedings and reuniting with your husband in a peaceful and honest and wonderful way, if the Father can see you, husbands, loving your wives like Jesus loved the congregation, if the Father can see you rebuilding relationship again with an estranged child or an estranged parent, if the Father can see you honoring your mother and your father even though they abused you, if the Father can see you honoring and loving your enemies even though they hate you, if the Father can see you honoring and loving those who've done wrong to you, then it is true. And you need to put your excuses aside and let the supernatural step in so that which the Father can see and is desirous of your heart can come to be. Am I making sense? And so when we have a look at this process, Moses now gets up and he leaves. What do we do? Oh, God was there. Oh, when that Meg sings... The Holy Spirit's in the bill. It's a holy ground moment. Oh, I want to get my shofar out. I want to get my flags. I want to, I want to, I just, I just want to fall down. I just, wow. And we camp on the holy ground. What good is that? From holy ground to desert, people. From holy ground to desert. Moses had to make his way across the Midianite desert 
faced the Israelites who didn't want him back after the first plague, were accusing him and mocking him and scorning him just as much as the Egyptians were, that from that holy ground moment to the next holy ground moment when he stood and waved that same stick over the ocean and it opened up, another holy ground moment. There was a whole lot of desert between this holy ground and that holy ground. How many of you know there's some challenges between glory and glory? How many of you know you're going to have to walk with conviction from the burning bush with the burning fire of the Holy Spirit as your motivator to the next moment you have with God? And if you give up on that holy ground moment, you're going to be lost and you're going to find yourself prioritizing all the wrong things. Well, maybe... I don't have to throw this stick down. You know, I, I haven't... I've, maybe I, I can just say kazam and something else will become a snake. Maybe I just need to just listen to some praise and worship songs at church and I'll get back with God. Let me tell you something, guys. Your relationship is celebrated with God in church. It's not initiated with God in church. Your relationship with God is, is initiated at a holy ground moment. It's receiving and putting aside the excuses the moment God aligns His purpose with your desires and saying, yes, Lord, I will go. But we tend to camp at the holy ground because that's when we last. When Brother Dwayne speaks on families, man, I'm just on fire. You know what? Your faith is not Brother Dwayne's faith. Your passion is not Pastor Craig's passion. Your passion is your passion. And you've got to get that aligned with the Word of God, and then you'll see that passion explode into something incredible. Am I making sense? Don't camp on the holy ground. All Moses would have had if he camped there was a good barbecue. All David would have got, if, as the oil ran down his beard, all he would have become if he stayed a shepherd is a greasy farmhand. You can't camp on the holy ground moments. You've got to get out into the desert and fight the fight that the holy ground has asked you to fight. Your marriage isn't going to fix itself miraculously. No, if you hear from the Lord that you're to fix your marriage today, get on the, the process. Put out the excuses. Get the supernatural forgiveness of God in your heart and go and love on your wife. Stop looking at other women. That's not what the Holy Ground said you should do. Stop gambling away the finances of your family. That's not what the Holy Ground moment said you should do. You got so caught up in the distraction of greed that you've forgotten what the calling of God is on your life. Am I preaching sane? Because you see, God is saying to you today that I've got something greater than you, greater than what you can ever hope for, dream, or imagine. If you'll just walk through the desert under last command given. When was your last holy ground moment? When did you hear God stirring up in your heart? Yes, that's what I've got to do. If you haven't got one and you haven't had one, it's time to have one. And here's the deal. The first thing about a holy ground moment is it starts with worship. It starts, and worship is humility. You can't bow down before a king if you think you're a king yourself. Yeah, you've got to put Jesus on the throne of your life and say, I'm not king of my life, and I'm certainly not king of my eternity. I could probably be king for 80 years, but I can't be king over my being for the rest of eternity. So I better get with the right king. Because this king is only going to last for 70 years, maybe, 80 years at special mightiness. But the king of kings and lord of lords can be my king forever. So the first thing we've got to do, just like Moses, is take off your sandals. I'm not preaching on washing feet stuff. Jesus did that. Let's leave it with Jesus. I'm talking about humbling ourselves and worshiping the Father. And saying, hey, whatever your word says, whatever your word stirs up in me, that's what I'm going to wake up thinking about. Yes, I will obey you immediately. It didn't say that Moses said to the Lord, uh, you do know my feet stink, right? Uh, you do know that these sandals are pretty difficult to get on and off. Only thing I can think of is, is I say to my son when we're traveling now, Kyle, I say, hey, wear shoes that are easy to get on and off because at security, you've got to take your shoes off. So he wears his high tops that are completely laced all the way to the top. And the poor boy is like trying to get these shoes off. And you don't see Moses going, these are lace-ups all the way to the top. You want to take it seriously? No, it says in Scripture, <clears throat> and Moses removed his sandals. Period. When we get called to worship, we worship. 
When God is humbling you, there's a reason. He doesn't humble you to bring you down. He humbles you to set you up. When you come to worship in this place, when you go out and worship and call upon the name of the Lord, you are humbling yourself. You are saying, I have a desire. If I do it my way, an Egyptian slave driver might get killed. But if I do it your way, an entire nation might be liberated. And so we humble ourselves in worship. Step number one about having a holy ground moment. Come in to worship next time we worship in this room and put aside yourself and ask God to equalize you with his word. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a diver, there's something called equalizing. It's when the pressure on the inside gets equalized with the pressure on the outside. When the pressure on the inside, the desire of your heart gets equalized with the pressure from God's word on the outside of your heart. When you equalize, you can do so much more. And so we equalize. We bring to equilibrium the word of the Holy Spirit's direction, the word in our lives based on the desire of our heart that's not Netflix. And we worship God. That's what worship is. Step number one about having a holy ground moment, worship God humbly. Do you know how my arms are just at the right angle? I think the whole church entered into worship today because just at that right moment, and we get so, oh no, I don't sing out in church. Maybe they'll hear me next door to me. Did you see so-and-so raise their hands in church today? So what? Humble yourself before the Lord and get with him and get with the word. Who cares about everybody else? Oh, but they used to be Baptist, and now they're going to that evil church called Victory Life Church where they have drums. <laughs> they can wear their hair down. Who cares? Worship the Lord humbly and watch the pressure on the inside equal the pressure on the outside, and a miracle can happen. You're just using that as an excuse, and where the supernatural operates, there are no excuses. That's the reason the Holy Spirit's in our lives. Second thing about a holy ground moment is that when we come to a holy ground moment, we have to accept the supernatural. You are not going to have a holy ground moment if you've got an issue with the Holy Spirit. If you're sitting in the congregation today going, that was for the apostles, you're not going to have a regular holy ground moment. I'm not going to say you're not going to have a holy ground moment, but you're going to struggle with excuses at your holy ground moment that the Holy Spirit can take care of right then and there. Do you know how old I am? Excuse. You know how young I am? Excuse. I can find people in the Bible that were old and young and were used by God at holy ground moments to change nations. I'm sick. I'm tired. I don't have Netflix. I do have Netflix. Whatever you want to do, make up your excuses. But when you allow the supernatural, when you allow the Holy Spirit of God, when you allow a prophetic word to change the very essence of your life, when you allow a scripture to become so real to you that you change trajectory in your purpose, when you allow a prayer to change and orientate your marriage to goodness and healthiness and forgiveness, when you allow somebody coming up and giving you a hug to learn how to love your children again, when you allow those things into your your life. That is the supernatural workings of God operating through you so excuses can be gone and purpose can be achieved. Man, I'm preaching better than you hearing. Only reason I'm backing up is because I want to wet them. They've already been drenched. <laughs> the sweat will start flying just now and then it'll be really a shower. Are you getting me? Number one, worship. Number two, Get rid of your excuses, and the only way you can get rid of your excuses is by bending the knee to the Holy Spirit. That's what Moses had to do. And number three, understand that there is no God-given purpose in your life that doesn't involve other people. Moses didn't go there to say, woohoo, I'm liberated. No, he went there to learn supernatural abilities to get rid of his excuses so that he could go away and liberate the oppressed that God had placed on his heart 45 years prior. When I watch the news and I watch stories of my own country, I weep. I weep before the Lord. And I go, Father, how do I help them? I'm so far away. Excuse, supernaturally. I'm walking at Jubilee. Someone comes up to me and says, hey, Craig. And I go, that accent sounds very South African. And he says, how's it, bro? And I go, that's how South Africans greet. That's a South African. And he comes to me and he starts unpacking his story. 
that his parents had been murdered in the farm murders that are happening in my country. His grandparents had just been murdered. And he is the first South African as a farmer to come across to this country and ask for political asylum based on the violence in my own home country. And I know it's true because I've just seen where our country is not two weeks ago. And supernaturally, the desire to help on my heart, excuse-free, supernaturally presents itself right then and there. And God provides me supernaturally the ability to financially help this person get in touch with a lawyer, find a lawyer that can help him fight the fight for his asylum in this country. Fox News are now all over the story. CBS News is all over the story. Now it's becoming a big momentous thing that if we can win this one, other oppressed people from my country can find a way to freedom and find a way to peace. But if I'd sat there at the burning bush, glory, holy ground moment of jubilee going, oh, God is so good to me. God is so gracious to, oh, Holy Spirit. And you guys look like Native American Indians around the fire, whispering in the smoke in a, in a dance. And I'm not mocking that. But we, we think that we can wave the Holy Spirit into our beings. And we can just come to one holy ground moment and camp there. And the Holy Spirit Shekinah glory is all over us all the time. And then we walk away and we go and find out why our Netflix is giving us issues. And then we come back to another holy ground moment and we, we pray in the Holy Spirit and we do this dance and we wave our hands and some of us get super spiritual and can say hallelujah with a kind of a Jewish accent and then we think that we are Shekinah glory kind of Christians. And then we wave a flag, blow a horn, toot our own trumpet and go home and say, look at me, I'm a Christian. But I'm beating my children out of anger. And I have no money in the bank. And I'm not living a prosperous, hallelujah, George, it's Sunday morning. Let's just, oh, oh. And we go away and we live an unprosperous, unfulfilled, unprioritized on the word life. You can't camp on the holy ground moment, people. You've got to walk through the difficulty. That's why God does bad things to good people. Not that he punishes them, but he's already given them the word to walk through the difficulty. So walk it. He doesn't put those bad things on your plate. But he's already given you the holy ground moment and everything you need to walk through it with a glory, with the worship of the Most High God. At the airport, when the guards that were standing there, hands on guns, making sure we didn't make a run for it through the airport hall with our you know, five bags and... And the Lord said, this is okay, taken care of. I didn't start phoning anybody. Somebody came to me just two weeks ago, and a week ago, and said, why didn't you call me? I could have helped you. Didn't need your help, but I got God. I, need, I had a piece, he'd taken care of it. I didn't need to quickly phone my father-in-law and say, hey, help, put some money in my PayPal account. I need to be able to pay. God said, I got this. My son, my older son, turns to me and says, it's all right, Dad, God's got this. And these guards come up to me and say, it's okay, everything's waived. You can come into the country, you don't have to pay the waiver, everything's fine, there's your passports, all stamped, all good to go, you're free to leave. Yeah? I had to go from the moment of the Lord saying, I will take care of it, I had to walk through three hours of possibly him not taking care of it. Will he take care of it? Who else is going to take care of it? Help me, Lord! But if I was camping in the space of the holy ground, I would have never seen the miracle. I would have walked up to the God and hallelujah, high-fived him and Shekinah gloried him. And he would have looked at me going, what on earth are you on? But when he came to me and said, will you pray for my people and my team? I'm going, dude, I'm praying for myself right now. No, no, yes, of course I'll pray for your team. Let's pray for your team right now. You see, God has given you a holy ground moment. Walk through the desert to the next holy ground moment and watch miracle upon miracle, blessing upon blessing come to be in your life. Don't prioritize the desert. Prioritize the holy ground moment. Worship, supernatural, excuse-free living for others. And watch the holy ground moments hit you hard and fast. I want to tell you about some holy ground moments in your life that are happening all the time. Your marriage is a permanent holy ground moment. 
Your holiness in your marriage is a permanent holy ground moment. If you're married, you are in permanent holy ground to permanent holy ground. You are decided by God. There is a divine purpose on your marriage to move from holy ground to holy ground. You have constantly got to be seeking God with your spouse, not on your own. You cannot have a purpose. You cannot prioritize on your own if you've been joined and you're part of another. I tried. Planted our first church. Leanne sat in the lounge and watched ER while I met outside on the patio with the elders trying to plant a church. It was tough. Then ER series came to an end and Leanne could give me some attention. She wasn't called. We hadn't discussed it. I just decided to do it on my own. Hallelujah, God has said, look how holy I am. I'm planting a church. Whoop-de-doo. If it's not done with your spouse, it's not done. You can't bask in the glory of financial success, husbands, at your businesses or at your workplace without understanding that your wife is just as important to that success as you are, even though all she's doing is sitting at home apparently doing nothing and looking after the children. Get off your southern redneck attitude that women are second rate. They are partners with you in the Holy Spirit guidance of the supernatural power of God in your life. Stop it. Woman, God has got every gift in your heart ready for you just as much as anybody else. And the gifts were given to all. And some would do this and some would do that. It didn't say all men. It said all. If you've got a problem with women being on this platform, think again. Go and have a holy ground moment about it. Because it's going to happen. Oh, but the Democrats and the Republicans and that. You know what? Go and have a holy ground moment about who's really in charge and then come and talk to me. I don't give a rip because my Jesus is my king. Your marriage needs to be a holy ground moment, moment by moment, developing and growing, developing and growing, submitting one to the other so that you can move forward from glory to glory. Can I tell you another holy ground moment you've got to revert? Your salvation. Your salvation is a holy ground moment. Are you living in the salvation of the gift of eternal life, or are you wallowing in the problems of the desert? Your salvation was a holy ground moment. When you accept the Holy Spirit into your life, it's a holy ground moment. You've got all the holy ground moments that you need. Jesus on the cross is a holy ground moment. Jesus being resurrected is a holy ground moment, but it only becomes a holy ground moment when you make the resurrection of Jesus your own and not something that happened 2,000 years ago. Maybe, maybe the, you know, the smoke machines were blowing in the right direction and the lights just caught the sun and it looked like Jesus was going up when actually he was just on a hill. Oh, you, you joke. But that's what you do. Oh, well, maybe God was looking after me. I think maybe, well, maybe, maybe somebody else just kind of heard of my problem and gave me that gift because maybe they just felt sorry for me. No, 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 no. God has declared in a holy ground moment, every scripture and promise of the word is a holy ground moment. When it says in Bible that you have been given abundant life, accept it for yourself. It's a holy ground moment. It's not for somebody else. It's for you. Every promise is a holy ground moment. Every time you get together with brothers and sisters who are of like mind and are supernaturally sold out to an excuse-free living of worshiping God for others, every single time you meet with them, that's a holy ground moment. Take it seriously. I don't just go out to coffee with Micah. I don't just sit around having meetings with Micah. I go, what are we doing for God's people? This is a holy ground moment right now. God could talk to us in an incredible burning bush way right now. I'm taking off my sandals and I'm open. I don't have a meeting at work. I sat in boardrooms, three times the size of this room. And I'd often text Leanne and go, what am I doing here? I'm talking bankers that would eventually go on and be on the board of the World Bank. We're sitting in the room. And the entire agenda was based on what I had to say for the whole day. I'm not qualified. I'm a pastor of a little church down the road, and you've called me in here. Why? Holy ground moment. 
Holy Spirit is causing a burning bush. I can give God all the glory. Walked out of that meeting often. Somebody would walk up to me and say, Craig, where do you come up with all this stuff? Looked at them square in the eyes and said, Holy Spirit, didn't you feel him? I'm sorry, I, I felt a bit of rushing wind in that room, didn't you? You see, it's a holy ground moment. Every day you're having holy ground moments if you'll take your sandals off. If you'll just humble yourself, put your excuses aside, and prioritize the Holy Spirit in your life for other people. Watch. Watch. Blessed to be a blessing. Don't we walk around? Oh, I'm blessed to be a blessing. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Covered by the blood. I go to Victory Life. Best church around. The worship off the hook. Come on. Come on. Well, my marriage is okay. No, no, no. Your marriage is a holy ground. Arrangement with God himself and the Holy Spirit. Make it so. Your parenting is a holy ground moment with God himself and the Holy Spirit. Make it so. Your health is a holy ground moment with God himself and the Holy Spirit. Make it so. And Moses took off his sandals and took his little stick and wandered his way to fair Egypt and liberated the people. Man, he must have had a blast. Watching the desire of his heart that had been birthed all wrong 45, 50 years prior, all of a sudden watching God supernaturally do whatever he desired. He didn't just kill one Egyptian. He laid bare the entire Egyptian army at the bottom of an ocean. I mean, come on. He didn't just take them out. He desecrated them. He crippled an entire world power. Have a look at your history. Egypt was a world power until the moment the, Egyptian, the Israelites left them. And then the Egyptian world power crumbled. Why? Because Moses had a holy ground moment and liberated the people. And the blessing was removed from the land and everything with it. Because of what they had done to God's people. Am I making sense to you today? And finally, we came back to where we started. Finally. A holy ground moment will always involve the promised word of God from Genesis chapter 3. It will always involve the declaration of the name of Jesus. If you're not declaring Jesus and you cussing, start replacing cuss words with Jesus words. Start giving praise and honor to him honestly for what he's done to you. Stop messing around with that. Youth, church isn't a joke. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is the one thing that your parents, whether they love you or not, know from the bottom of your heart will save you trouble. Trust me, I tried to do it without Jesus and got my rear end kicked badly by the devil. He will kick you because when you're not covered by Jesus, you're uncovered to the Satan. And Satan can whip your rear end royally. He knows how. Trust me, he's been there from just after Jesus spoke, let there be light. He was the angel of light. He was the angel of worship. Trust me, he knows how to make things look good even though they are terrible. Oh, I, I really think this job is for me. I know I've got a gambling problem, Pastor, but refreshing the machines at the casino, I really believe that this is for me. How dumb can you be and still breathe? Father, I know I'm a, I'm a bit of a, I've got a bit of a perversion problem. Father, you know, Pastor, I know that I've got a little bit of a wondering eye. But, you know, going into nude photography, that's, that's really the job for me. That's not a holy ground moment. That's a moment of dumb stupidity. Stop it. But it pays three times what I'm earning at the moment. Who gives a rip about the money when your eternity is at stake? Oh, but, but he loves me, and I'm not getting any love from home. You know, I just have to see him twice a week, and he, he makes me feel so whole and so protected and so in love. Yeah, with you and five other girls. Stop it. It's not a holy ground moment when you give of yourself to something that should be a holy ground moment in marriage. You're having a holy ground moment way too soon. God wants you to have a holy ground moment of your virginity and your purity, and he wants you to walk that out. 
honoring Him, worshiping Him, glory. It's not a holy ground moment when you look for peace by ramming something down your throat or up your nose or in your veins. That's just plain stupidity. There's no peace in that. How many of you know that peace is not found at the bottom of a bottle? It's found in a holy ground moment with God. How many of you know that lying and cheating and stealing is not going to get you the kind of riches that God can give it to you if you do it in a holy ground kind of way? Return to your first love, people. Do it the way you did it when Jesus asked you to do it. It's not time to get first world about an old world principle. It's not time to get first world about prioritizing something that happened in the Garden of Eden. It's time to bend the knee and say that which was spoken in the Garden of Eden is good then as it is now, and it will always be good. Let me tell you something. The seed that's planted in your life by the evil one is going to get bruised in the head. It's going to get taken out. Jesus has already been bruised in the heel, and you know what? He's healed from that healing. He's already in heaven, raised to the right hand of God. He doesn't even limp anymore. He doesn't even say, oh, I got a little bit of gout in my right ankle from where Satan hit me. No, no, no. He stands as the risen king. The persecution still evident on his body. Why? Because his body hasn't been sealed yet. You're his body. Can I go into that quickly? Thomas goes up to Jesus and says, look, I need to touch your side. And Jesus says, touch my side. Now, if that side was all healed up, Thomas would have had no reason to believe that Jesus was resurrected. So Jesus appeared in the spirit with a side wide open. Why? Because he has to take care of the doubt. Yeah, that'll only be closed up. Like Adam's side was closed up once Eve has been sealed and made. Then God closed Adam's side. Why? Because the complete work of Eve had been done. You are the modern day Eve. You are the body of Christ. You are the wife and bride of Christ. The side of Jesus will be healed once you have been sealed. Why do you think Revelation shows Jesus as a bleeding lamb? Why? Because the work of his blood is still ongoing. Now, it might have happened in your life, but step number three about having a holy ground moment, it needs to happen in somebody else's life. You are it. Not Netflix, not Pureflix. Netflix and your priorities are gone when it comes to the magnitude of the task at hand. What has God placed in your heart to do? Well, I really want to open up a school for children. So I can give them a well-rounded Christian education. Get on with it. Look around you. It's needed. Oh, I really, I have a little bit of money and I think I can start a, a little bit of, if I get this together, I can maybe start a housing project that can house the poor. Get on with it. God will bless it. Stop waiting for the big business guys in the town to get on with God's work and get on with God's work in the town yourself. Oh, I've always wanted a business where people could come and just fellowship and be with, get on with it. I want to grow people. I want to tell them that they're not downtrodden. Get on with it. Stop waiting for Pastor Craig to meet with the sheriff and the police chief and the, and the mayor and the businessmen and get that all. Oh, I'm just waiting for them to start a program at church that I can get involved with. You are the program and you are at church, so get on with it. I'm not here to do the work for you. Scripture tells me what my job is. I got five tasks in this church. You can go and look them up. It's called a five-fold ministry and it's to equip you to do the work. And the last time I looked, I'm doing what God called me to do. I'm in the middle of my miracle. And I'm loving every moment of it. How can you go to Boswell? Because God sent me there. And when God says I go, I go. Even though it's a desert. Even though I know nothing about cows. Even though I can't understand half of the conversation at the lazy heifer even though they speak in a crazy accent and think they're right. Did I drag any of you to church? Anyway, God gave me a holy ground moment and I may very well have another holy ground moment soon. And if that holy ground moment comes 
we'll all celebrate each other's holy ground moments, whether that means going to Malawi, Kenya, or to California. Please, Lord Jesus, no. But the fact is, <clears throat> is that when we have a holy ground moment and it's genuinely of the holy ground and it's genuinely of God, three things will happen. I will worship him. I will let the supernatural spirit of God rule in my life. And I will do it for others. Amen.